1: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
2: The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle, And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. And it was something that was really hard in that moment to digest, knowing what I had been hearing down the hall in the conversations that were happening seeing that tweet come up and knowing what was happening on the Hill.
3: Robert Gibbs, that was a uh, bite from Cassidy Hutchinson, the former top aide to Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's chief of staff at today's surprise hearings of the January 6th commission. We will not be discussing that clip because that clip hasn't actually happened yet. But through the wonders, the sorcery, of our engineer Jeff Fox, we have inserted that after to give the illusion of being in the moment.
0: I thought you were going to announce that we'd actually invented time travel, and I thought this was going to be a really cool intro to the podcast.
3: Yeah, we've invented time travel, and we're selling it to Joe Biden. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so speaking of sorcery, speaking of sorcery, segue. Uh, I uh, I want to uh, welcome in a sorcerer of her own, the sorcerer of focus groups, the host of The Focus Group, a podcast, a great podcast, the uh, publisher of The Bulwark, and a general pain in the neck to Trump Republicans, uh, Sarah Longwell. Sarah, good to be with you.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm such a fan.
3: So uh, let's talk about these hearings. We don't know what's going to happen later today, uh, but they've been pretty impactful hearings. I mean, I think everybody wondered what this was going to look like. A lot of the stuff had leaked. They talked to a thousand people. How are they going to make it coherent? We've seen impeachment hearings and so on that weren't quite uh, this way. Um, Sarah, you've been looking into this. Uh, what impact do you think these hearings have had?
1: Yeah, you know, going into the hearings, I think everybody kind of had this open question. Will this matter? And because uh, we're also jaded after six years of basically nothing mattering um, or feeling like nothing uh, matters, I think expectations were low that that these hearings could have an impact but they have been tremendous um the there has been a certain uh, genius to both having Liz Cheney be the one doing a lot of the prosecuting of the case but then also having all of the witnesses essentially um, uh, or at least the vast majority of them be Republicans. Um And so, uh, you know, I've been focus grouping uh, as quickly as I can as the hearings have been going on. And I've done two Trump voting focus groups since they started. And I, I would say there's two interesting takeaways for me. The first one is that uh, people know that the hearings are happening, which may not sound like much, but I swear to God, the number of times that something major is happening in Washington, D.C. that we are all talking about. Yeah. the McCarthy tapes are a perfect example yes. when the Kevin McCarthy tapes leaked everyone was like oh my gosh this is huge i walked into a focus group the next day said what do you guys think about these uh kevin mccarthy tapes and they were all like what are you talking about i have no idea but everybody knows these hearings are going on all these did they Trump say voters, who's kevin mccarthy no i mean so, some of them mostly, most of them did not know who he is i were talking about joe
3: mccarthy or charlie he sort of turned it he sort of turned it to charlie mccarthy actually <laughs> uh, sitting on trump's knee there but yeah
1: yeah funny side note not not all these republicans are are real hot on kevin mccarthy um and, uh, and yeah. say some pretty mean things about him. But, 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 but people know these hearings are going on and, and many of them had even watched part of it. Now, they think the hearings are a dog and pony show. They think they're ridiculous. Just another attempt, uh, to get Trump. But in both the focus groups, something happened that has never happened before, which is when we asked the question, do you want to see Trump run again in 2024? Zero people in either group wanted to see Trump run again. And I got to tell you, that wouldn't normally, I wouldn't take two groups and say, oh, this is some evidence of something because two groups are two groups. However, I have done dozens and dozens of focus groups with Trump voters since January 6th happened. And always without fail there's about half the group that wants to see trump run again in 2024 and so what i think the hearings are doing is like when they raise this ambient noise about trump and him not letting the election go and and this is what you hear from these voters they say i want to move on from the january 6th conversation i'm sick of talking about it but they're also sick of trump talking about 2020 all the time and you know not letting it go they want to look forward they want to move on and so i do think it's having an impact in that regard
0: And Sarah, just to be clear, when you say people in these focus groups, these are Trump voters. I just want to make sure that we because I know you do Democrats and independents and swing voters and Republicans and base. And so you're talking about you're talking Trump, Trump supporters, Trump 2020 voters.
1: So they're both Trump 2020 voters, I'll tell you, although there is a slight distinction between the two groups. And it's an interesting one. So one is a Trump 2016, Trump 2020 voting group. So. MAGA down the line, they voted for Trump twice, really liked him. The second group was actually people who didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but did vote for him in 2020. Now, two of them voted for Hillary Clinton, but the rest of them actually were people who either didn't vote because they were like, blah, or that that Trump had subsequently energized into voting for him in 2020, or they were people who went third party out of fears that Trump was going to be insufficiently conservative, um, but had those fears allayed during his uh, four years as president and then enthusiastically endorsed him uh, in 2020. And did
3: you guys probe did you guys probe as to why they they're such supporters of Trump? Obviously, a lot of them probably believe the election was. Is it that they are sick of him talking about 2020 or do they think that he's carrying too much baggage into 2020 for too much trouble?
1: Yeah, so I think this is what happens, and 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 one of the things that I would I would put in as a caveat to this is I've seen this phenomenon before, where when Trump's in hot water, things are bad for Trump, or he's just done something. This happened back during the uh, verified people on both sides in Charlottesville, where you feel people kind of back away from him because he's just so much to defend. But then over time, they can drift back, and so I wouldn't say I wouldn't make the pronouncement that this is. I'm certain this is sticky. I'm just going to tell you what happened um, in in these groups. But in terms of, yes, you're right. There's lots of people who think that, you know, something was fishy. And look, the people in terms of the election being stolen, people are kind of in buckets. Like there's that big number of 70% of Republicans believe that the election was stolen in 2020. But I see them, there's like layers to that. There's people who think. Dominion switched votes. Uh, the whole thing was fraudulent. And there's a much sort of bigger category of people who just think I don't know something fishy happened. Um, you know, you hear people all the time just say things like, you know, I went to bed and uh, Trump was winning, and then I or, and then I woke up and Joe Biden was winning. So explain that to me. And if you say, well, they were counting more votes overnight, um, that is an insufficient <laughs> explanation for many of these people. And, but like it's, but they carry it kind of lightly, almost like the way people do with Trump. Like, everything's a little bit of a joke. I'm um, not everybody, but there's there's this, there's this a tribal pose to a lot of it where it's like, yeah, Democrats are terrible, Democrats cheat, and so I think that the election was stolen, and all the elected officials I know say that the election was stolen, the Republicans. I mean, people forget this. It's just, it's being reinforced, right. not just by Trump, but by all the candidates who are running in 2022, and so people are like, yeah, I think something was wrong, but they couldn't articulate what that thing was that made the election be stolen
0: yeah where are these people getting most of their information on the hearings, knowing that Fox News is essentially showing you know reruns of cartoons during the uh, the hearings in order to m- make sure, as you said the the information ecosystem that has gotten to all the elected officials to parrot the 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 top line of the big lie that it doesn't get to the masses. What? What? Where are they getting it? Is it on Facebook? Is it friends? Is it, God forbid, the mainstream media?
1: The people who had watched the first hearing, like they knew Fox hadn't carried it. Um, I, I actually don't know where they watched it, but they like went looking for it to watch it. But most of them said they turned it off because it was, you know, so biased and a dog and pony show and all political. Um, but absolutely, listen, this is not just in terms of where they're getting the 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 hearings media, but just in general, the number of people who tell you they get their news from just social media is uh, very much starting to dwarf traditional media. Although, I mean- usually you can sort of see it is the the best informed people tend to be people who either say they they bounce around, they watch multiple things. Um, Some people cite foreign press. A lot of people still watch their local news, which tends to be where they get it. We're
3: going to release a a poll from the Institute of Politics uh, where, Robert, you're on the board. Sarah, you've just been a fellow uh, on Thursday that has some pretty um, alarming uh, data. But uh, in terms of Habits, we, 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 del- we dove deep into media habits. Local news dwarfed everything in terms of where people said they get their news. And, and surprisingly, national news, national network news still has ha- had a significant, uh, audience. And so if local news is carrying snippets.
0: Yeah. And, 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 of course, yes, social media. You touched on this, David. And I want to just spend a few seconds on it. Um, because I think this is. I think this has made the impact greater. These aren't hearings. They're presentations.
3: Yes, that's right.
0: True. And, and they have very much. And, and I give the committee a ton of credit for this. And this is also why Trump's exercised, because there isn't a rebuttal. Right. He decided and McCarthy decided and Jim Jordan decided they would walk away. They would make this illegitimate. And it's become very legitimate to your point, Sarah, because the voices in these hearings Aren't liberal Democrats saying, I think this stuff happened. It's Republicans who were in the room when it happened, with all apologies to our good friends uh, at um, Hamilton. But I think that's been truly impactful because we've all seen we've all seen in the past five or 10 years like, oh, this is going to be a big hearing. This CEO got sworn in and they're going to have to testify. And every congressman or congresswoman gets five minutes. They're all, they're very repetitive. They're speechifying. They ask one question. They're confused about why they asked the question, and then they're on to the next person. These are very much impactful, and I think yeah. using the well, tape testimony. Too. They're
3: reading off of prompters. Exactly.
0: And, it it yeah. is it is it's as much a an you know either an opening argument in a trial or a presentation of a case in a trial as they are. A a congressional hearing that that I think the three of us are used to, and I think that has had a remarkable impact on the salience of the delivery of the information.
3: We're going to come back to Trump, but there was just another big sort of bomb thrown into the middle of of this election season and into the lives of a lot of people, and that was the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. Uh, And... uh, I don't know, Sarah, if you're in the field uh, with groups uh, this week and in, in, in examining this. I, I heard last night, I told Robert before we started, I heard last night about uh, groups that were actually took place last night in a, a swing state. I won't name the state to protect the innocent uh, and uh, that with independent voters. Uh, and these were voters who were very much, you know, you remember the big shift in uh, the summer of 2021 forward was among independent voters who there was like a huge drop in support uh for biden and for democrats and there was this sense that democrats were off on some sort of left-wing uh you know mission and they weren't focused on the so on uh, the folks who reported to me on this group said that really shifted with this decision, there was just real alarm about this, and all of a sudden uh, people were beginning to see the Republican Party uh, more as a uh, as the extreme party as a threat uh, and I'm wondering whether you guys i mean i I honestly i I think this whole row thing requires humility in terms of trying to understand right at this moment what all the ramifications will be uh, in the future and particularly in November. Uh, but it seems like it's, you know, that combined with turnout, uh, po- uh, potential, um, particularly among younger voters, suburban women and so on, seems like a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I did, um, a focus group of swing voting, suburban women, uh, about a week after the, the leak, um so I'll use that as my example. I haven't done one yet this week although we do have The one leak scheduled. of the
3: decision that turned out to the be leak the, of decision. Of the decision. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so um and and what was to me the most interesting is I began with an open-ended question of what do you most Concerned about what are you thinking about when you go to the polls in November? What do you care about? And the answers were super consistent: economy, healthcare, economy, healthcare, inflation, little crime, little education. Two people brought up reproductive rights or Roe, um, but they were kind of low on their list. And and that was so. So that was like an open-ended question. But then when we asked specifically about Roe, then they got super animated. And they cared a great deal, and uh, and a lot of them actually. So these were women who had voted for Trump in sixteen, and then voted for Biden in twenty. And these are the voters that are really backsliding, right? That that just couldn't take another, couldn't take any more Trump. But you know, they've kind of been slowly moving back to Republicans. Right. Um, but a lot of them characterized themselves as pro-life, but still felt very strongly about that this was a a, a woman's choice and between her and her doctor. And actually, you know, it was interesting with a group of women everybody started talking about all the complicated things that can happen when you're pregnant they all like know somebody um and it really was, wasn't really that they know somebody who had an abortion it was that they knew people who'd had horrible health complications with their pregnancies and um or just had been put in the put in situations to make terrible decisions yeah and so they came to it with a great amount of compassion and were really alarmed about Republican overreach on this but what it said to me the idea that they they didn't go there with an open-ended question but got very animated when you talked about it was that Democrats were going to have to prosecute this case. I think sometimes Democrats think that like organically, everybody's just going to take to the streets and this is just going to immediately change all the fundamentals around the election. But I think it's actually going to take really prosecuting a case, as as you note, of Republican extremism, right? And It's sort of Roe plus guns, plus the individual candidates who are extremely uh, extreme. Like you get like a Doug Mastriano, these people don't believe in any exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother. And you have to make that case and go hard at that.
0: I've got worse news for you, Sarah. The Democrats think that that people are making these decisions by printing out competing plans on on abortion and then comparing them side by side on paper. So it's it's actually far worse than you uh, would imagine. But I I totally agree with this, David. when you and I were talking, I mean, we both used the sort of same analogy, which is the dog caught the car after chasing it for nearly 50 years. And now a, a smart A smart Democratic campaign is now asking every Republican that is an opponent, now that abortion has devolved to the state level, what is your belief as to what the law should be on the state level? What are your exceptions? What are your exemptions? How is this going to be enforced? Uh, And a smart Democratic campaign is going to get those those opponents on the record because to your point, Sarah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be way out of the mainstream. Right, you're going to have a commercial where a, a that's going to feature a, a doctor telling a woman that um, uh, that their their baby has health complications has 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 died, uh, and and she has to carry that baby to term because there's no exception for for her health as part of this. They're going to be gut wrenching commercials. Someone was talking on
3: TV the other night uh, about this uh it was a lawyer that you know if you if you criminalize abortion then the scene of the crime becomes uh the a mother's womb right and how do you how do you how do you conduct those investigations and all of a sudden all of these questions become really, really real. Yeah. And and I think that's the difference, Sarah, between uh the leaked opinion and the reality, because all over this country, the laws are changing overnight. And uh, uh, but I, Sarah, I want to ask you a, a, a related question. And it goes to this extremism thing, because I agree. This is this is this is the only the only thing that can save Democrats in 2022 is Republicans and uh this is the way that republicans can save democrats by embracing uh an agenda so extreme that uh you know independent voters moderate voters the voters who drifted away as you said uh from uh republicans but seem to be drifting back say wait this is a bridge too far but clarence thomas uh in his uh in his opinion uh, uh, uh as part of this Said that uh, this ought to open the door to review uh, Griswold and Obergefell, and uh, you know the the uh, the law, uh, you know, creating the the right to, or enumerating the right to uh, birth control, the, uh, gay marriage, and so on. Uh, you're the former head of the Log Cabin Republicans. Um, how how much of a fear is that uh, out there? And do, do minds start to wander to what other bad things can happen if we continue to go down this road?
1: Yeah, this is a pretty complicated question, um, in part because I, I find the the old version of myself dueling with a new version of myself, which is to say- You want uh, a few minutes to yourself? No, no, I just, the, the, <laughs> oh, the version Gibbs of me I from- and I can step
3: out of the room here.
1: <laughs> the version of me from uh, maybe even like, Like early Trump was in kind of a like, let's not exaggerate things, guys. Let's not let's not overstate things. Let's not immediately, um, you know, freak out. You know, look, I read the Roberts opinion. You read Kavanaugh's opinion. They all explicitly say that That the ruling that they're that they are applying to Roe is not going to apply to these other things, no. but the fact they also testified
0: that, that Roe is settled law no, but but we'll right, leave that aside right but
1: this is <laughs> but when i say when I say new me, new yeah. me has seen a lot in the last few years and has become just less confident in the idea that sort of prudence and um you know the well, you know they're not going to go that far um i just I don't quite believe that the way that I used to, and it does. Um, look, I think it's I think it's more unlikely than it is likely. But imagine the catastrophic nature of so I I have one of those gay marriages uh, that I got in uh, in 2013, and uh, and I got two sons. And the idea that somebody that that it would even be on the table to like tear your family apart, to nullify your existing family, and that there's people currently on the Supreme Court who who think that that's fine who are willing to do that like we shouldn't I, we've spent too much time in the trump years underreacting and i still think we should temper ourselves and not set our hair on fire on on places where we shouldn't but i wouldn't close the door that thomas isn't trying to push the court in that direction
3: i just want to point out i don't i don't have any hair to set on fire so
0: <laughs> but just to be clear he he very much is and alito who's now the acting chief justice of the united states supreme court in his opinion, absolutely rejects Robert's idea of the court shouldn't move faster than society and public opinion. That's way, way out the door. Uh, And so let's bring up another subject because I I think there's a lot of pressure right now on Democrats to have a response – but I, I think there's a lot of pressure on, on Democrats, particularly in Washington right now, though I can make the case that, quite frankly, Washington's not the ballgame anymore. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to do something right to have a, a reaction that's not just emotional, but is tactical. And to your point, David and Sarah, if I'm the Speaker of the House or the head of the Senate, I'm bringing these votes up next week. Let's vote on get codifying gay marriage. Let's vote on making sure that contraception is legal. Let's vote on making sure that interracial marriage is part of uh, the national law. I think unless Democrats act more like this is an existential threat, then the base is going to leave them and leave them for a while. And this idea that the reaction should be, Go on the Internet, give 20 bucks and sign up to knock on doors. And oh, by the way, vote in November is an adequate response to what's happening right now is is not even remotely realistic. And there are Democrats who understand that Gavin Newsom understands, by the way, he's running for president. He understands exactly what he needs to do to make this an issue to increase his profile. But I think there's a lot of pressure right now, particularly on the White House to get more involved in having something to say here. This is intertwined with whether or not Democrats have confidence in whether Joe Biden can run for re-election
1: yeah the other the other reason they have to do something as as you say and go on offense on some of these things is if left to their own devices, progressives are going to put up solutions that are terrible and actually make them look like the extreme ones, like packing the court not a good solution, codifying people's ability to have access to birth control and plan b good solution um and you've got to go on offense and you have to prosecute the Republicans where they're on defense on being extreme, yeah. make them vote on that,
3: yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, and look, I think for Biden. I mean, you know, I I think Biden has done a far better job than he gets credit for, but he's also been handed a whole bunch of things that have no real easy solution and it contributes to this notion of uh, you know, uh ineffectiveness or or right. cluelessness or whatever. Uh so it puts an added burden to kind of yeah. lean in, but you have to lean in in a way that's realistic. I mean, I think I said here last week, like going for a uh, a, a gas tax holiday that you're not going to get, and that people don't actually believe will do anything uh, right. is not is not is not helpful. So they have to choose their they okay. have to, to to choose their fights. But uh, you're you're no no doubt this is this is this this could energize the Democratic mm-hmm. base. It could it could help clarify the whole extremism. Uh, yeah, arg- argument against Republicans, but it's not an unalloyed uh, uh, asset to Democrats because there's going to be a lot of frustration as well uh, with
0: the inability to um, to impact on it. Well, I think to your point on Joe Biden not having the magic wand here, I mean, I think that's why they have to have some level of action, whether those are votes on on things that seem tangential, but very related um because look i mean you know re- re- this was a 50 year cause for republicans right so this isn't going to get solved by washington sometime next week but I- unless you prosecute the case and put republicans on the greater defensive, to your point, Sarah, around extremism. I mean, smart political campaigns aren't going to make this about abortion. Smart political campaigns are going to make this, as you all have said, about extremism, about a group that doesn't share your values, about a group that's way out of line with the way you and your friends think, but want to prosecute your lives. By the way, if you want a gun and you want to carry it wherever the hell you want to, Great, that's in the Constitution. Want to make a medical decision about your health care? Sorry, that's up to the governor and the state legislature. That kind of stuff, I think, has real salience in this election. I don't think it swamps inflation, but there's no doubt the trajectory yeah. of the election changed with this decision. The, ol- the, only,
3: the only cautionary note that I would add to that is people are smarter than they get credit for. And one of the things that I think drives people nuts are votes that are votes that are taken for the purpose of trying to gain advantage in the next election rather than solving a problem. And I think that's particularly true among younger people who think the whole thing is a big charade uh, and it's all about who has power. So, you know, the, the, you have to, you have to give people a sense of why it's important who has power. And and yeah,
0: no, it's a fair, just to say, just say, I think that's a very fair point. I think because Clarence Thomas opened this door, I think it's a it's a very relevant vote. I mean, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Leto don't think the end is near uh, on on what their plan is. And oh, by the way, by the time this thing drops, they might have eviscerated environmental laws too. So there's a lot to go here. Sarah, you're uh, uh, let's talk about your tribe. Or
3: I know you're an apostate. You've been exiled, but uh, if you're Mitch McConnell i mean i mean i've 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 said uh, earlier this week that um you know I, I i presume that his decision to go along with the bipartisan compromise on guns the gun safety law that passed last week he was one of fourteen republicans was because he knew what decisions were coming down the pike. he knew they were going to uh they were going to loosen gun laws uh with their decision in the new york case he knew that roe was coming. And he knew that it was going to resemble that. And he knows that this could be really toxic with some key constituencies, particularly suburban women. And he thought, we got to do something that connotes reasonableness. And so he jumped on this uh, modest but meaningful uh, gun safety law as an answer. But they've got to be worried about this, uh, about the sort of, you know, the, the inmates running the asylum and it costing them an election that they should absolutely dominate based on economic conditions and political conditions.
1: Yeah, look, after Yunkin won, uh, you could just feel like this was supposed to be, 2022 was supposed to be about Republicans reestablishing themselves with suburban voters, winning those voters back, because they knew, Jared, that that was who Trump was just poisoned with. That's who he repelled. That was They were the decisive votes uh, in 2020, because they were the people who voted down ticket Republican, but voted for Joe Biden or left it blank. And so winning those people back was critical to the Republican coalition and to their 2022 plans. And and they were on the offense because uh you know i think one of the main things that people keep forgetting is in play and how much of a difference it was making is that uh is covid and how much people were sort of done with the level of covid restrictions uh that that they were seeing they're obviously frustrated with gas prices the economic conditions inflation supply chain all kinds of things i mean people just think i hear this all the time like things just work 30% less well like everything's just not working right um and they're super frustrated so, conditions are really good for Republicans to win back the suburbs in the uh, there. Except now, you've got guns, you've got row, and then I I do want to it's not just that. That that is you're right. So that is those are also tough for suburban voters, but then they're watching these candidates emerge. Like the thing yes, yes, yes. that I cannot stress enough and that I've sort of been going on about is is uh, for a long time because you could see this coming together is it's not like there are um, fields of candidates in these states where some of them are anti-Trump and some of them are pro-Trump. They are MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. And the most extreme MAGAs, um, or the second most extreme MAGA in a lot of these primaries are emerging and they are election deniers. I mean, if you look at Doug Mastriano, so the governors of just the swing states, Tim Michaels in Wisconsin, v- Carrie Lake in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, Doug she Mastriano yet, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. She hasn't won yet. No, no, no. These are, but these are the yeah, frontrunners. Yeah, there's Michael's um, and, and the person in Michigan, they're all every all the candidates are really crazy. And so, well, well, you know, a one guy of them.
3: who's a leading contender who who was arrested for his role. Arrested. In, in the That's January when he took off, right when he got
0: booked. His His campaign photo is probably his booking photo. Yeah. That's
1: right, and so these candidates, and they are there, and they and they lean into these divisive issues that are also difficult, right? These are the ones who are going to come out and say no, no exemptions for life of the mother, right. no exemptions for rape and incest, and so that is putting Republicans who have a very winnable environment uh, in a place where they could lose a lot of these yeah.
3: races. Because- well, and Democrats have helped, we you know by. Running ads, basically pointing out how extreme these Demo- these Republican candidates are, uh, identifying for these MAGA voters who they should be for. So we have a primary here in Illinois today, uh, where uh, 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 a uh, candidate, a state senator uh, named Bailey from downstate, uh, who was. Under, you know He was up against a guy who had $50 million, black mayor from Aurora, running in the Republican primary, supported by the wealthiest man in the state, Ken Griffin. Uh, and uh, Bailey's going to run away with this primary today, quite likely. He is no exceptions on choice. He is uh, 100% down the line on guns. Uh, and he is an election denier. And he is 100% Trump. And uh, that you know that jb pritzker uh, will be smiling ear to ear tonight when those results come in and you're seeing this happen in state after state after state
0: just we should give one caution because this happened in pennsylvania with the republican uh and we should be very careful because yeah, yeah, let's it's be a clear good admonition. Some of these people are going to get swept into office. Some of these people are going to be senators and governors. And I, I, that may not be the case in Illinois just because of the insulation of it all. But the the idea that, that it's a runaway race in Pennsylvania, the polling out there has it at, at Shapiro plus three three,
3: point, four points.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you, you got a really tight race. We should just go back for one second. I mean, the reason that McConnell has a different antenna than others is a, a few things. One, these are statewide races, right? So to your point, they're not carved out from having to deal with suburban voters in Atlanta, suburban voters in Detroit, you know, suburban voters all, all over these places. So he's got a different an, antenna and he has to. And, and I think, not just what these decisions were coming down, but I think just the visual of what happened in Uvalde. I think Mitch McConnell, who has literally chastised senators for wanting to come out with a platform to run on because he doesn't want to mess anything up in the smooth sailing of, of getting to the majority, realized that the horror of Uvalde, his candidates had to have something to say when voters approached them, when they were in town halls and when they when they were in debates and whatnot. And I think that's what animated him. And that's why you see 30% of the Republican caucus in the Senate supported this, just a few on the Republican side in the House, because those districts are are drawn very much for the person that's either the party or the person in power at that point. Statewide races are tricky. And by the way, McConnell has If he wakes up at night in cold sweats, it's because he remembers 2010 and 2012. Races in Nevada and Missouri and Delaware that were very, very winnable races were it not for candidates that were just way out of the mainstream.
3: I think he's got major concerns today because uh, of the direction that the party is taking. And, And so does McCarthy. I want to play for you guys an exchange I had. Uh, with Fred Upton, a congressman from Michigan, who is one of the 10 Republicans who voted uh, to impeach the president and is one of the four who are retiring, in part because of that. Redistricting had a lot to do with it. But I was asking about Kevin McCarthy. We had this interesting exchange. What about McCarthy? There are all these tapes out there. He denied saying things that he ended up saying. You were probably in some of these caucuses where he spoke. What do you make of his? sort of transformation. Kevin's
1: Um, been
0: working to be Speaker for a long time. I do think that the House is going to flip for a variety of reasons. The question will be whether or not the magic mark is 218
1: votes. For Kevin to be Speaker, he has to be over 230. Because otherwise the Freedom
3: Caucus will have so much leverage. And so
1: will Trump.
0: Who knows what Trump will say on what day it is i mean mm-hmm. he's good at reversing himself so mccarthy
3: things. needs a he needs a cushion but it seems like he's trying to take out some trump insurance by doing a 180 on what trump's culpability was
0: i think everybody saw that mm-hmm. and that's why he's going to
3: need more than 230 i mean there is a question of whether they have unleashed something here that they can't control and that someone like kevin mccarthy who is famously you know sort of uh uh Shall we say flexible, amoeba-like? Uh, that people are onto that, and the true ideologues, if they have a chance, and Trump, who still remembers what he said behind his back, uh, will cut cut him off at the knees if they get a chance. Sarah, what do you what do you think about Brother McCarthy be, uh, coming from from that part of the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think McCarthy's probably fine, um, but I, I got to tell you, I can't decide whether because you know karma for McCarthy on this. Like, he deserves it. I was reading, there was an Axios piece the other day about all of the, um, insane people who are running, uh, for Congress, because they're running at all levels of government, and about how, uh, instead of intervening in these races to try to keep the crazies out, McCarthy's basically just figuring out how to have a nice relationship with them, because he's gonna need, need them, um, when they're in there. So, um, I, 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 the idea that they would come in and then immediately toss him out, um, there's something about that that feels, um, like he deserves that. On the flip side, I think it is quite the you know Speaker Jim Jordan um, is obviously a a bad outcome for the country with uh, a whole bunch of of new Lauren Boberts and um, Marjorie Taylor Greens. You know I don't know. Just just want to flag one thing. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's this horrible rant by this guy Nick Fuentes, um, who's one of these like white nationalists, but he runs a whole group. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar have both appeared there. And he was, he was doing on this rant about how, you know, we finally got rid of, 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 a Jew on the Supreme Court and, and replaced them with a Catholic. And see, look at all this is why there shouldn't be Jews on the Supreme Court. Just stuff that used to be disqualifying, like in a heartbeat, like you would never let it happen. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar are just Republicans hanging out. Uh, and, and there's going to be a bunch more of them. And Kevin McCarthy is doing absolutely nothing to stop that phenomenon.
0: But he can't. I mean, he he simply can't. And to your point, David, he's he's unleashed forces and Trump's unleashed forces that are that are that are impossible to put back into the bottle. The genie's out and the genie ain't going back in. And and I think Kevin McCarthy's going to have to you know, he's got the tiger by the tail and he's going to have to hold on throughout this process because I mean, you see, Trump's on a rampage now. Why, 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 why aren't there Republicans on the January Six committee? How come there isn't any rebuttal? Why isn't Jim Jordan on there? How? Who made this decision? Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more of it. And and to your point, I mean, the people that win these primaries right now on both sides are not generally middle of the road candidates, right? They're they're on the political extremes of the spectrum, and I think. You're going to have more and more of this. You're going to have uh, more and more people that are there to build a social media following than they are to attend a committee hearing uh, like we see with these guys. And and I think it's just. Well, we
3: got one of those races going on in Illinois today downstate. Trump was there this weekend. Mary Miller, who's a, a freshman, she's running against Rodney Davis, who's a veteran congressman. They got thrown together because of redistricting. And that's a pretty tight race. Davis is more of a regular uh Republican, but to Sarah's point, everybody has to go through the MAGA toll booth. But he he Didn't voted. Davis I think he, he I voted think he, for the January sixth. Yes, right? yeah, and that that was apostasy. Now she had a maybe it was a slip of tongue, maybe it was a Freudian slip or so on. But she thanked Trump at that rally for for white life or whatever. But that's going to be an interesting one on the north part. There are intramural fights on the Democratic side yeah. too, and there are two. Races in Chicago. One, Danny Davis, who's a veteran, veteran member of Congress, who I remember was the young flame throwing lefty when he went to Congress, is now under pressure from a candidate of the left, potential squad member. That one is close enough that Joe Biden from Europe issued an endorsement yesterday for Davis. And then there's another uh, race between a progressive member and a more moderate uh, suburban member. Uh, here, too, so there're gonna be some tea leaves in both parties in some of those races, so i want I, I gotta ask you it's a bugaboo of mine, but i at least Stefanic in New York now she was a moderate not long ago, and she did a real hard right trumpy turn. she uh took liz cheney's spot was her reward for that uh from she's from upstate New York. Uh, and she endorsed for a, uh, for a congressional seat up there. A candidate, Carl Paladino, had run for statewide office, who, who among his other comments has opined that he thought Hitler was the kind of leader that we might need today. And she's the number three person in the
0: House. Sarah, what, what what the hell? I'm just wondering why you're so surprised. I'm just – I'm wondering – we're not doing the focus group with you, David, and, and the moderator is <laughs> asking you, what what what? why are you surprised? What's gotten you – what's bugabooed you? Just by the pure
3: – on the scale of pure expediency, hers is so transparent that it's, you know, it's like head spinning. Some of these crazy people are, are have been so from the start, you know. That's who they are. That's what they – but it's the it's the opportunists who start off as moderates realize they could lose a primary and then do the I don't know am I being unfair Sarah?
1: No, you're oh yeah I mean you're not you're you're go harder. Here's the thing about Elise Stefanik, there is nobody worse, and the reason is th- Elise Stefanik is a contemporary of mine, so like I know lots of people who know her, uh, and I was a huge fan. I mean, she was, for me, there was this group of young Republicans, Carlos Curbelo, Will Hurd, Elise Stefanik, uh, who I was looking at as the future of the party, was really excited about them. And in fact, one of the things that, you talk about how fast it was, I remember when we were strategizing in the first impeachment over which Republicans we thought were gettable in the House to vote for impeachment, and she was on the list because we all knew her, and she was this moderate uh, candidate, and so the 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 fact is, I, I think the reason it's worth going harder, and I, I don't know. You say Robert, like how can you be surprised? I don't know. Like Will Heard, like. Dropped like left and Adam Kinzinger has done the right, right. thing. And, right. uh, Carlos Curbelo lost his race and he's gone. But like Elise Stefanik is the one who said, I'm going to be the striver. I'm going to just totally sell out. I'm, I got a taste of that, ma- you know, that MAGA energy and I'm going to ride it so hard. And, and you, you could just, it drips off her, the disingenuousness. Like she is ru- She is just like Trump taking all these people for a con. Uh, and it is, it's yeah. sick making.
0: I just don't understand why either of you are surprised. I just
1: don't like- Because Carl Palladino said Hitler.
3: Right. You got- I was surprised, Robert, because of what Sarah said. Surprised because Elise Stefanik, uh, you would think she would tend
0: more in the- Especially coming from New York. Except somebody said, you know what? You can either play around and be a, a nice- Member from New York, or you can be part of the leadership. You well I think I corner. think
3: I think it began because she was worried that she might get beaten in a primary and Sure. York. I mean it's but I But but Robert, listen to what Sarah's saying. Not everyone did that. Not everyone did that. She was uh, she was in that group with Kinzinger and 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 right. and uh, right uh,
0: soon to be former congressman Will Hurd, former congressman. Right. Carlos Cabello, That's former congressman. That's a good point. It's a good I point. I mean, this isn't like again, I don't I don't I, look, I don't I'm not suggesting it's good. I'm just suggesting it's not rocket science, right? I mean, these guys yeah. are when they when you look at a poll and you get a clarified Not every
3: politician, not every no, no,
0: politician. I'm not I'm not suggesting that every that politician craven. is I, I'm not suggesting every politician is. I think right now Craven is 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 a pandemic, right? And it's being led by Donald Trump. I don't think what Mary Miller said in in, in at the rally the other day was a slip of the tongue. I, is a, the the damn words are on a teleprompter, right? <laughs> it's not a slip of the tongue. It's what you're thinking. And, and, well,
1: these people aren't the reading comprehension's not great. I mean, I thought that looked a little bit like a, like just a, a misspeak. Um, because who you knows you what misspeak with, you, you
0: say instead like, of the, saying right to life, you say white life. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I mean, right to like, and white don't seem a whole I don't, don't, like,
1: really don't want d- d- to <laughs> litigate that. I don't, because I don't really know. But like, here's the thing I do know is if you told Elise Stefanik six years ago. Hey, you're gonna enter. You're gonna you're gonna support a guy. You're gonna endorse a guy who thinks Hitler is the right direction, <laughs> right? I mean, you see how it seems like it should be a stretch. Yeah.
0: Except if you had preceded that conversation with, "Hey, we've got a poll that shows if you don't start <laughs> to move right, you're going to be a former congresswoman. Yeah, you're not going to have this job. And do you, you like this job? It's fun playing national political leader. Yeah, okay, great. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. What do I need to do? Build a wall, great! After all these years, I have
3: to say <laughs> I'm not that cynical. I'm just yes, not you that No, no,
0: I'm not that cynical, <laughs> yes,
3: Robert. I that I, I, I can't that this is this was the biggest leap that we've seen in 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 that direction. Yeah, we've just, seen it, you know. But she she's not just. She's not just mouthing the words in the in the yes. pew. She leaped up on the podium and she is now leading yeah. the choir. Uh, and that's that's different. But listen, let's move on. You can you can be you can you can bask in your cynicism. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of evidence to support it. But I'm just but, still
0: uh, surprised that you two are surprised. I mean, it's like, all right, OK, you made your point. So
3: let's go on.
0: Bugaboo. I don't get to, it.
3: To the president. Because there was a piece over the weekend that uh, that I think you sent to me, Robert, in the Times. Yeah, about, it was yesterday about um, his being aggravated and his people being aggravated that people are talking about whether that they don't really believe it when he says he's going to be a candidate in twenty twenty four. I searched for your name before I sent that. Piece I didn't. To you. I did not talk to anybody about that. But I've been <laughs> public about it. I mean, I think that there, no, the, the, there is a reason this is different than you know every there are. Presidents are embattled. Ronald Reagan was embattled in 1982. You know, Barack Obama Bill pl- Clinton. clearly yeah. wasn't embattled. Bill Clinton wasn't embattled. Presidents come back; they can come back. There's no doubt about it. That's not the issue here. This is this is the issue is that these are uncharted waters, and the thing that people, you know, the thing that people don't. Uh, at the end of the day, the thing that the thing that you hear in focus groups and Sarah can speak to this is not that Biden is lacking in character, that he's that, that he's not a decent person, that he's not, you know, someone who cares about the and none of that. It comes down to two things that they, they people feel that he is 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 too old and as a result of being too old that he's not uh, that he's not. Capable. I think the second thing, as I said earlier, is really unfair. I mean, when you consider the things that this guy has handled in the last year and a half, and the things that he's, uh, you know, when you look at at uh, when you look at Ukraine, and you look at the passage of the uh, of the infrastructure bill, and you look at the you know management of uh, the massive mobilization around uh, around uh, vaccines, and and the fact that the economy. Yes, inflation is brutal. It's brutal all over the world. The economy in other ways has, has 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 grown and is but all of that stuff is true. So I understand that frustration, but I don't understand how they don't understand why there are concerns about someone being 82 and running for president.
0: Well, I think the White House does understand that. I mean, I do think I do think they understand what's Coming at them and what the criticisms are, I think to you you I think you laid it out quite eloquently that the sort of feeling of chaos and out of controlness in the country goes to okay. Do I think the person that's there can handle it, and if they can't, why? And I think this all plays into that together. I, I think they understand it. I think they're just trying desperately to push back against it. You see that their their line is. You know, and and they were not subtle in this piece in the Times yesterday, which was or and today, which is you know
3: he's a Trump killer,
0: right? Nobody wanted us to run against Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. Nobody really wanted us to run in 2020, and guess what? We beat Donald Trump. Right, and so we're going to be there for the you know, next. Listen, thing. I can see he has
3: every reason to give the big middle finger to everyone who is raising this issue now, as, including and maybe especially me and you uh but
0: uh why are you dragging me in on this i'm kidding because i'm
3: lonely (laughs) uh but uh it is what it is.
1: There's a really interesting dynamic in the focus groups. We always ask about 24, and one of the things that I have noted is the difference between the Republicans on this question, and the Democrats on this question cannot be overstated. If you ask Republicans, who do you want to see run in 2024? Like I said before, about half the group usually says Trump. Up until very recently, um, and and if not, you're like, okay, well if Trump doesn't run, who do you want to see run? They got a ton of names. They want to see Ron DeSantis. Super excited about him. Um, you know the. Christy Nome and, and Tim Scott and, uh, secretary of defense guy and whatever. They got they got, they think they got a lot of young superstars that they can get excited about. You ask Democrats, do you want to see Joe Biden run again in 2024? They say, absolutely not. He's too old. And then you say, okay, who do you want to see run instead in 2024? And they just stare at you blankly. And I think that that is um, of deep concern for Democrats because it's one thing to say Joe Biden shouldn't run again. It's another thing to say, okay, well, then who does
3: it? You're absolutely right. And that is the other argument that you hear from Biden's folks is like, okay, what's your big idea? Who's who's going to come and push back on uh, Donald Trump? Who's going to come back and push back on DeSantis? Who's going to? But the, the answer is that campaigns produce. Candidates campaigns produce candidates. Barack Obama would not have been pres- president of the United States if he didn't have a campaign in which to prove that he was worthy of being president. Pete Buttigieg wouldn't have become a national figure uh, if he didn't have a, a you know a year and change to introduce himself to people. And you know my 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 only uh, concern or my concern is that the president uh i believe he believes he's running now i do believe he's running the question is is he is is uh in in 8 in 14 or 15 months from now will he believe that he should run and if he decides then and he has a habit of deciding these things late and the answer is no then there is no time for someone to emerge you're left with a, the the sort of known suspects no, no governors are going to get in uh, and have a great chance there's nobody else who we who, who no one's thinking of now there's you know i mean bill clinton was was an asterisk at the beginning of the 2000 of He's the 1992 campaign yeah. but it was the campaign itself that allowed him to emerge so uh you know i i just that that that's the concern you're but you're right uh sarah there There, you know, the interesting thing is that people don't give an answer and you have a sitting vice president who uh,
0: you would think would be the the
3: putative front runner.
0: Well, a couple of things on this, David, because I think you're you're very right about Bill Clinton in 1992. I'm not sure in at this point in 2006, Barack Obama would have been in even the top two candidates. Uh, listed. So I, I think campaigns produce those candidates. I think that, that we may not really have a great sense of who the next nominee is if Joe Biden doesn't run. Uh, but I think that nominee will end up being formidable. Um, we also don't know on the Republican side, We everybody falls in love with the caricature of what they think their person is going to be as a candidate. We don't know what Ron DeSantis is going to be like right. on a presidential stage. Because let me tell you, it is in Florida, Right. It is in Florida. They're going to have to answer a lot of tough questions. There's a lot of research that's going to fly. There's a lot of things that are going to be said. Every year, there's a great candidate, Fred Thompson. Fred Thompson's going to save the Republican Party. Fred Thompson, Fred Thompson. Fred Thompson lasted like 17 minutes. Wes Clark. Wes Clark's going to fix it all. Wes Clark's campaigned into like 25 minutes after the flight left Little Rock. Yeah, right, right, right.
3: No. Yes. Well, that's why you need campaigns. Everything's theoretical until you're up there in orbit.
1: Just two quick points on this. So one of the things Joe Biden, one of the reasons I'm as frustrated as you, David, about Joe Biden is here's the thing. I think Joe Biden is a hero. I think that he put his body in the middle of like a catastrophic event yes, for he, democracy. he became a historically important
3: president the day That's after right. that election was. Called, he has yeah. done
1: the job he really needed to do, and his job now is to help elevate new people because you you can talk about campaigns but while you have a democratic president and i you guys are right there's a real problem with the because let me tell you who's even less popular in these focus groups uh than joe biden is is kamala harris there is like and people it's not even that they don't like her they're like i haven't seen her she's invisible she's doesn't do anything i thought i was excited about her and now i think you know i'm not interested in in seeing her anymore um because they haven't seen her and so they've they've just they've discounted her but where is like you got to build a bench right now while you got the chance you got to you got to be elevating people i have been mystified joe biden is a very poor spokesperson in these moments where you're lurching from crisis to crisis so have a bunch of surrogates out there who can become the new set of stars for the democratic party
0: but we should be clear that's extraordinarily hard to do that's extraordinarily hard to do trust me i've been in thousands of these meetings where like let's get so and so out on tv let's get so and so out on tv i mean Joe Biden is the head of the Democratic Party and he's the president of the United States. He is going to have to be the top spokesperson for a long time. And we're not going to replace that spokesperson unless or until there's an actual nominee on the Democratic side of Joe Biden doesn't run. So this idea that like all these voices in the wilderness are going to come out is 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 I mean, that's not realistic. One other point that I want to make and then you, you and I can. Obviously, debate this. I can see the look on your face. One point I thought was interesting in that story, David, you mentioned the deadline for the announcement. Um, The story, if I'm not mistaken, said that the Biden White House believed that the Obama benchmark of April of the next year, this would be April of 2023, would be the appropriate time to announce for re-election. And they pushed back on the idea that they would be filing paperwork before this uh, before the November election, which I thought, so I think that sets up you know decision in sort of a nine to ten month or eight to nine month period. We'll see because
3: fi- even the filing of papers doesn't mean you're actually running. No, but
0: it does start incurring costs for a campaign that are are is also what Trump's dealing with.
1: The one thing I want to push back on here is that like to say that I just think it's wrong. This the Trump administration has produced the next generation of people who are going to run in twenty twenty four. I mean, look at it. It's Pence. It's Pompeo. You got Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Like they have they have they have created a a tsunami of of MAGA candidates that became stars, that became stars during the Trump administration.
0: And on a national poll right now, Right. Other than Mike Pence, they're all at 2%. They're all at 1%. What? Mike Pompeo, nobody knows who Mike Pompeo is. I, I just want to push back on this idea that there aren't a lot of Democrats that could be potential candidates, right? You mentioned it. Pete Buttigieg, Gavin Newsom's going to run. You've got Ooh. Phil Murphy in New Jersey. Oh, who's Jesus gonna run. Christ. We're going to go Cooper through the whole run. list here. <laughs> well, I I mean, but, but <laughs> now I'm we're going to go with two hours. I just want to push back on this idea that somehow it's Joe Biden or nobody. And on the Republican side, there's a hundred people that are going to be great candidates. I'm telling you, five of those candidates. Remember Scott Walker? Remember President Scott Walker? The guy didn't make it out of a fucking straw poll in Iowa. Like, so he was I the next stipulate, I'm going
1: to I'll stipulate this point that anything happened. And actually, one thing that I will agree with you on, but I'm going to add to it, is the idea of, like, the DeSantis as the anointed one. I mean, his name comes up absolutely the most. But, like... What is the dynamic of DeSantis running and tr- uh, Trump doesn't yeah. just stand down? Does Trump take his 25 people and go run as an independent right. and burn the Republican party to the ground? Like, it's gonna be chaos. Uh, I just think that there could be a lot more intentionality. The stakes are very high. They are different than they have been ever before in our lifetime. And it seems like the idea that we're all just going to sit around and wait for Joe Biden to kind of like decide, yeah. seems like it's not meeting the moment that we need right now.
3: The president said when he was running that he was a transitional figure and he said it's standing in front of a lot of younger people. So that goes to your point. But on, uh, the fact is, you're not going to be elevating the next generation of candidates if you're planning to be the candidate. And, uh, so, you know, he has to make a decision just what, what he wants to do. Listen, uh, he's got, he's got a full plate of stuff to deal with here. And, um, there's time, there is time, uh, to consider this, but these are really weighty decisions. And I think he does have a, a lot to say about what the next election is yeah. is going to be. Anyway, we have now exhausted our time, so we won't be doing, uh, any letters, uh, sen- send, your, uh, Send your uh, letters, your letters. We're not going to be doing any email. Exactly. Um, we'll be we, we, you back. Yeah, and if you're bitter about that, send your comments to Robert Gibbs. If you have questions in the future, uh, for the future, and we'll take them up, prom- promise the next episode, hacksontap at gmail.com. And we will be taking a little hiatus to celebrate Independence Day next week. So you have two weeks to think up great questions and we have uh, two weeks to get our timing right.
0: Jeff, I, I uh, please send me the word count for uh, for David Axelrod versus Robert Gibbs. We, in, will, uh, in this we podcast. will, we
3: will, we uh, will, <laughs> we will announce this at the ne- on the next podcast. So, anyway, Sarah, it's always great to be with you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, keep the focus groups coming. They're they're fascinating yeah, to they watch, are. and we get a lot of interesting information. The focus group is the podcast, and uh, highly highly recommended. David's just very bummed that they don't have peanut M and M's anymore at these focus groups, yes. and you just have to sit. That, and that Zoom? is true. You should send packs. <laughs> these around. are on
1: Zoom now, so I just eat whatever you know is laying around my house. Let me it's tell you, even... David
0: used to think this was breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. I uh, I don't blame him. Trust me, I was hey, like we both, that was were, a second we both hand were pretty.
3: We both were pretty chunky in the day. <laughs> All right, good to see you, Thanks, both. guys. See ya. Thank you.
0: Hey, everybody. It's Robert Gibbs with Hacks on Tap. If you listen to today's episode, you know that we finished recording our weekly episode with Sarah Longwell just moments before the surprise January 6th committee hearing this morning and this afternoon in Washington. David couldn't make it back. He is traveling, but I, I wanted to share a few thoughts for our listeners out there, because uh, we just didn't think we could let this one go a week or so before we addressed it. Um, I think in a word, the testimony that we heard today was devastating. I am, if you've listened to today's episode, I'm cynical. I admit it. Years of watching government up close and politics have made me more cynical than I'd like to be. And I am not easily surprised. And I have to admit today's testimony was devastating. Cassidy Hutchinson. What she laid out was just amazingly compelling. This is what these hearings have all been. They're, they haven't been in the words of people that haven't been in the room. As I said today on the podcast, they've been by people that work for Trump who watched all of this stuff unfold. The idea that Trump very much understood that his supporters had weapons and still wanted them to be able to freely march to the Capitol was a big deal. Trump, Wrestling with the Secret Service agent demanding to go to Capitol Hill was utterly stunning. The idea that a sitting president would try to grab the wheel of the beast, the presidential limousine, and then try to grab his Secret Service agent is just really sort of nothing short of stunning. The the fact that the, the president himself was so focused on going to the Capitol and that the lawyers had warned everybody in the White House that going to the Capitol would, re- would result in... Lots of law breaking and lots of criminal charges. It seems to me that you understand the exact mindset of Donald Trump. He knows he's breaking the law and he's still trying to do it. There were the the moments around his frame and state of mind in the lead up after the election, the throwing the dish and throwing his lunch against the wall uh, of the private dining area off the Oval Office, and then that he did so somewhat regularly and then at the end, just the simple idea that uh, he didn't want. And all to call off what was happening at the Capitol. Didn't want to apologize for it. Didn't want to try to bring people together. Didn't think that anybody had done anything wrong at the Capitol. In fact, again, a truly remarkable day in Washington. One, even for cynics like me, were just utterly dumbfounded. I did not think Donald Trump could do anything else to surprise me. And what's remarkable is we've known the contours of this day and the events surrounding it broadly for a year and a half or more. And these hearings have pulled out and surprised us even more. The granularity, the detail, the messaging that is coming from people, again, in the room of the Trump administration is just utterly devastating. So I hope if you haven't had a chance to watch, go search for it. It is definitely worth the watch today, and uh, we'll be talking about it more in the future. So um, thanks, and sorry we didn't get to do a whole episode on this, but uh, I have a feeling uh, we'll get to that soon. Thanks.